0: This is the Personal Profitability Podcast with Eric Rosenberg.
1: Profiteers, welcome back for episode number 123 of the Personal Profitability Podcast. As always, I am your host, Eric Rosenberg, and today we are back with Sandy Smith for week number three of her month on this show. Today we're going to talk about a topic near and dear to my heart. It was something that goes way back to the very beginning of when I started blogging. You know, fun little fact my blog just turned 10. That's right. This month, October 2018, is the 10th anniversary of me founding what was then called Narrowbridge Adventures that became Narrowbridge Finance and is now known as Personal Profitability. And that's the brand that I plan to stick with because that is what this site is really all about. But part of the personal profitability journey is managing your personal finances and making sure you don't overspend, especially on stuff that you don't value and stuff that you don't need. So today we're going to sit down with Sandy. She is an expert in frugality. After all, her site is called Yes, I Am Cheap, and she is proudly known as a cheapskate. So we're going to dive in with her right now on the Personal Profitability Podcast. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with the woman of the half hour, Sandy Smith. Are you ready to get profitable?
0: I'm ready to make a lot of money.
1: I love it's like all about the Benjamins, baby. No,
0: no, no no. laugh.
1: That's why I'm the DJ and not the singer. No one wants to hear me sing. It was out career from going anywhere? It was funny about three years ago or three years, three weeks ago, <laughs> I was on the way to FinCon, changing planes in New Orleans because, um, you know, it's Southwest, and you could change anywhere. It was right on the way to Orlando. So I was like, perfect. And we ended up getting delayed there, of course, because of the weather. But while I was walking through the terminal, I was walking by a gate. And the gate agent was on the microphone making an announcement said, Hey, you, right there, guy walking by. And I was holding my DJ gear. It's <laughs> like, come sing a song. I was like, what? You want to hear me sing a song? She said, yes, for the whole gate. And they put the microphone in my hand. And under pressure, I just had to pick something. I went for yes. Mr. Roboto. That was my choice. <laughs> and I didn't even get a free drink ticket. That oh. was, I was like, at least give me a beer or something, right?
0: No, she just shoved you along your way like, please don't embarrass us anymore. It's
1: like I, I just don't want to hurt your ears. But did you know, I don't know if I've ever told you, I used to be in a rap group. Really? No, you didn't. It was the first Jewish rap group from Boulder, Colorado. The Hebs with Chutzpah. Stop it. We were just like NWA except Jewish. <laughs>
0: I love this. Okay, so you've got to post a picture in the show notes of this group. Yeah, I actually really opened up for a guy, uh,
1: Remedy, from the Wu-Tang Clan. He was part of the Swarm. Stop. uh, Yes, at the Fox (laughs) Theater in Boulder. And you can actually find, I think I have some of the songs if you search H.W. Chet on YouTube. C-H-E-T for Chet. Um, you can check out a few of my old songs. So You know
0: going to go look at them, don't
1: you? That actually was a side hustle. I sold the CDs for five bucks when I made CDs early on. High five you. Heck yes, that was a college hustle. It was, uh, was my rap days. <laughs> <laughs> so today, we are not here, though, to talk about my rap history, although I know it's fascinating. <laughs> we are here to talk about five frugal money-saving tips to boost your savings and we've both been blogging about uh, frugality and budgeting and things like that for the better part of a decade. Actually, my site just turned ten years old last week. If you're listening this to this when it goes live, now, October, I think it was ninth or tenth, something like that, in two thousand eight, I published my first post on what became Personal Profitability. So, happy birthday to my to internet!
0: In, in two more months. <laughs> two more so months. So, Right there.
1: And we're like, it's like we were born in the same hospital a couple months apart. We were both early members of what was then called the KZ network, which is still around. It's not as active as it used to be. And that's what led us to FinCon and to become real life friends in addition to internet friends. So let's dive in to our five frugality tips. So number one, stop spending on things you don't value. Is this something that you like to preach out to your audience?
0: Yeah, this is great because unfortunately, some people in the frugality area tell you stop spending period and that's rough because you have to feel like you're going to work to do something. So instead of um, stop spending period, focusing on just spending on the things that you value and reducing your spending elsewhere keeps you sane and focused on what it is that you need to do. So maybe uh, traveling is very important to you right? But you're still focused on paying down your student loans or whatever it is. It just might mean that you stop going out other places and you still take one vacation a year that keeps you sane and going to work the other rest of the year um, and that you're able to focus on, on on paying down your debt that way. So yeah, focus on what makes sense for you to spend money on and then reduce your spending elsewhere.
1: Yeah, it's like if you ever read The Automatic Millionaire, which was one of my favorite personal finance books. It was actually the last book I read right before I started, Personal Profitability, back in 2008. And they talk about the latte factor, which is you know, if you were to go to Starbucks and spend $5 on coffee five days a week for you know, 30 or 40 years over your career – the compounding added-up value of that is huge. And I'm not mm-hmm. one – if you like going to Starbucks you – know, my, my wife likes going to Starbucks. That doesn't bother me if she wants to go get a good coffee. But then we have to look at the budget and say, what else are we going to cut so we can afford that coffee? You know, we don't have cable TV. I cut cable in two thousand eleven. I've saved seventy dollars a month. Every month since that's over six thousand dollars I've saved. That's but huge. Then there are things, you know, I like to spend money on international trips. We're talking about Italy next year. I'm hoping that one's gonna come to fruition.
0: I'm coming, I'm coming.
1: Wow, it doesn't sound fun. I haven't been to Italy yet. My wife has, so it's my turn. I got we gotta get out there. I'm gonna go for the food. That's exactly I'm like, I want to sit in one of those old towns up on a mountaintop where no one speaks English, and I'm just going to stuff my face and drink wine all day. That's what I want to do in Italy. But to afford that, I don't watch cable TV, and I've lowered my cell phone bill cost and my auto insurance cost by shopping around. So it's, don't worry about keeping up with the Joneses. The Joneses probably have $10,000 in credit card debt. Just worry about what you value. It's all right if you have the Starbucks. That just might mean you don't get a Tesla, you get a Toyota. You know, I have a 10-year-old Toyota. I'm not going to replace it anytime soon. Tip number two, look for budgeting big wins. So like that cable TV, like the Toyota. So, so my Toyota Corolla, I actually I did some math on this. The average car payment these days is something like $600, $650 a month, which I don't know what cars people are driving that that's their payments. But that was the average when I did some research recently. And if you were to get a new car on a lease or even buy it every other year at that rate and keep up that payment for the course of a career, 30 to 40 years, it's going to be $1 to $2 million you lose out on million. So if you can drive, I paid off my car. I did get it new, but I paid it off in two and a half years. I have a Corolla. You know, I wanted to be reasonable, fuel efficient, didn't need to be flashy because really at the end of the day, a car just gets me from point A to B. And as long as I can listen to a podcast and it doesn't break down and it has you know airbags and seatbelts and safety features, the rest doesn't really matter because you know just a car just gets me around. So for me, that was a huge budgeting big win. I haven't had a car payment in about eight years. So Sandy, do you have any budgeting big wins you can share from your own experience?
0: I'm horrible because I actually went backwards because now I have a mortgage. But when I was really good at budgeting, the biggest thing that I did was found the cheapest place that I could live in. I think as Americans, we tend to want to go to the max of our budget where we can afford to either buy our house or live in an apartment, but sometimes you might have to sacrifice a little bit and, and that tends to be our biggest cost. So if maybe you can live in a slightly smaller apartment, maybe a tiny, a less desirable neighborhood for a little bit of time, think about how much money you can save. Forget about the coffee, forget about the Starbucks every day. What if you could save on your rent or on your mortgage for like four or five years and how much further would you be if that's what you did? So, you know, that's the advice I tend to give if I have clients. My first thing that I look at is, what are you spending in your living arrangement? And do you mind downgrading slightly to save a lot of money just on where you live?
1: Yeah, if you could save $200 a month on rent, you just saved enough to pay for all of your coffees for a month and save $100. That's big win. That's a big win right there. So number three, we're going to get back to the one I was just picking on. Stop wasting money on car payments. Like, it's crazy. I have a relative in my family who is into big cars and big machinery. And I've had a talking to with him a few times. Like, Why do you keep buying new cars? And his answer was, I want the latest technology. Like, You don't need the latest technology in a car. You know how much car technology has changed since the 1920s? We're still using internal combustion engines. Like it's really pretty much the same thing, except there's a computer in the dashboard now.
0: Exactly. And all automotive manufacturers have a schedule of how often they refresh their cars. Sometimes it's a refresh and sometimes it's a total new redesign. If you're going to buy a new car, wait for the redesign. They're putting new tech, new everything, whatever in the in the redesign. The refresh is just, I'm going to move this here. I'm going to move this there. I'm going to make this more flashy. It's like your iPhone. <laughs> there's there's a difference. You know, they do a completely different one. every. They, change, they do
1: little tweaks every few years.
0: Exactly. That's what yeah. the automotive manufacturers do. And then people like my husband went out and get a new car when they don't need it. You know, uh, they do a new redesign every five to seven years, but they do a refresh every couple of years. You know, I'm just, Just putting that out there
1: I'm trying to hold out my car is 10 it's actually about the exact same age as my blog and I'm trying to wait until the next car I buy will drive me on its own that's what I'm holding out for self-driving cars that is the point where cars will have changed enough for me to get a new one when it can drive me to where I'm going
0: my car is 2013 I planned on having it for at least 10 years by the time the wheels fall off my car, then maybe I'll be ready for another one. But I don't, I don't like, I don't like car notes. To be quite honest with you, I'd rather put that money into my IRA. I'd rather go on like a fabulous Italian vacation with you and your wife that I'm totally crashing next year.
1: <laughs> a car, one way to think about it is a car is a depreciating asset. So every month you have it, it is worth less and less and less unless you're like uh, you know Jay Leno and you have Bugattis or something. That get <laughs> those maybe become an investment. But for most of us, we're not buying, you know, million dollar plus cars. You mean the Toyota
0: Corolla is not an investment, Eric?
1: Actually, I was looking on my uh, mint.com account this morning and found it is worth about $5,000 now, so it's worth um A third ish of what I paid for it. And that's fine by me because I've squeezed a lot of value out in in the last 10 years. And I'm gonna keep on. Yeah, I've gotten
0: 10 years and two kids out of that car. So I think you're okay.
1: Here's a little tip. If you use your personal car for work purposes, so like I I don't have a separate work car, but I took my car to LAX. I drove down to the airport to fly to FinCon. I drove up a few weeks ago to San Luis Obispo that's 2 hours each way to do a talk. The IRS sets a an amount, it's a dollars per mile. I think it was 54 cents a mile or something for 2018 that you can write off on your taxes if it's a business exp- a trip. So if I drive 100 miles each way to San Luis Obispo, just to make the numbers easy, it it sounds about right, because that's 200 miles. You multiply that by 54 cents. That's how much I could deduct from my taxes as a business expense for using my personal uh, car.
0: I think a good idea if you are going to do that is to have a mileage tracker because you're going to forget. You really will. Now, there's some apps for that. Sure. I have a
1: spreadsheet. That's the way I did it because I used to be a financial analyst. But for people who don't b- live and breathe spreadsheets, yeah, there, there are some great apps for it. Yeah. So tip number four, live on a college student budget. Yes. Well, So when, when you were in college back in the day, how much do you, would you say you probably spent per month on living expenses? I
0: was working a part-time job and I was paying for as much of my college expenses as I could while I was in school. So I'm thinking, probably a, I probably spent a couple hundred bucks a month. Now, I live in New York City, so I spent a good amount of money. And I was living at home with the parents, by the way.
1: Now that's, a, that's like a huge money saver, living at home with your parents. Don't knock that. That's great. Yeah,
0: because um, actually my first year, I went to school in uh, New Orleans. I had a full academic scholarship, but I had to pay for and board. And that was a lot of money, but I didn't pay for school. So when I came back to New York because I hated New Orleans, shout out to New Orleans. And I got a, um, I was living at home, got rid of that, right? But I didn't have a full academic scholarship as a transfer. I had a partial academic scholarship, so I had to pay for that. I was working full time, going to school full time. And I dedicated as much as I could to paying, you know, as much of my school as I could right then and there because I didn't want to actually graduate owing a ton of money, so, I only lived on a couple hundred bucks a month because I was trying to pay my, you know, my student loans while I was in school. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, when I was
1: in undergrad, I got a full-ride scholarship from the Boy Scouts. I, I, we just mentioned in a couple episodes ago I worked at Boy Scout camp, and that was how I earned this scholarship. It was 15000 a year for four years. And I made up to, I don't know, $2,000 a summer in in salary, in you know, a working 16 to 18 hour days, they paid us well. My first summer, I didn't make enough in total to pay for my uniform. So my parents subsidized it. But by the time I got to college and they were helping with that, I knew I had to make $15,000 stretch for the, you know, nine and a half month-ish school year. So that was rent, food, uh, fraternity dues, tuition, books, fees, everything. That was my limit. That was my budget. And if I could get by on fifteen thousand a year at that point, why couldn't I get by on fifteen thousand a year when I was twenty two with my first job or twenty three? And that's what I tried to do uh, for when I was in grad school for my MBA. I found a super cheap place to live with a roommate for most of grad school, and I was working full time while going to school full time because I hated myself, <laughs> and and I wanted to pay as much as I could as I went. And I stayed on that super cheap budget once I I decided to get my own place. I still found a really cheap place, kept my expenses super low, and that let me pay off my $40,000 in student loans. The total cost of attendance was estimated at $90,000 for my MBA program. And I was paid off exactly two years and six days after graduation. It was because I lived so cheap. Do you have any advice for anyone who wants to live on that super cheap college student budget, even when they're out of school?
0: Yeah. um, Lifestyle appreciation creep is very real and very easy because now you've got all this money coming in and you feel like you should be living on what you're making. But I have to tell you, both of us, I learned the hard way. Eric learned a much easier way that if you can still live for a college student for one year, two years, three years, every year that you can still live like a college student pays off so much more dividends long run than if you didn't. I know if you get a job, you're thinking, I'm making more money. I've sacrificed all this time in school. I should be able to do X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D with my money. And you should. So if I were you, I would budget in some fun money that you didn't have before that you now have towards whatever it is that you need to do. But in the meantime, the rest of your life should be continuing to live as a college student. My sister, my little sister is 20. She's in college right now. And I told her, you need to save this much every year to be a millionaire by that age. And you better believe (laughs) my little sister is such a miser. She is uh, grabbing every penny she can to hit that number. And she's living at home with my mom and dad, even though she really wanted to go away to school Uh, because she realized that she could just save so much more and not be in debt when she came out of school and live better for a couple more years living with the parents, which by the way, isn't so bad because truth be told, I'm sitting here with like breakfast that my stepdad just made me. It's not so bad because they they cook for her and live for a little bit longer, like a college student, it'll pay just, it'll just pay off so much better. And you start your life off without being heavily in debt. Um, And I can tell you from somebody who's, taken 10 years to pay off their undergrad loans, even though I was paying while I was in school, you don't want to spend 10 years paying off loans. It's just a suck of money. Yeah, Imagine if
1: you, you know, my when I was paying my student loans, I was often paying you know, seven dollars $800 a month, even though I only had to pay about half or less of that. But I was able to take that you know, $700, $800 a month. I was used to living without it. Because that was my, you know, my entire time from college, from finishing grad school for that next two years. So when I stopped having to pay that loan, it wasn't like all of a sudden, oh, I have $700 more a month to spend. I started right. maxing out my Roth IRA. I started my first taxable investment account. I built an emergency fund. You know, I put all that money to use for me. And we say in personal finance, pay yourself first. You know, I put right. air quotes up as I said that. But what does that really mean? It means what I just said, you know, put that money into your retirement accounts and your savings before you go out and pay the bills. And that will help you avoid that lifestyle inflation.
0: The good thing, though, is that if you've never lived on it, you won't miss it.
1: Yes. So don't get used to living on it. Don't live yeah. above your means. If I were going to put all of personal finance into one to two sentences, spend less than you earn, save and invest the rest. Good idea, Eric. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, we should, we should uh, publish a book. It'll just be two pages and it'll be that.
1: Yeah, page one, spend less than you earn. <laughs> page two, save and invest the rest. There you go. The Personal end. finance MBA right there.
0: <laughs> Best seller.
1: So our last tip uh, of our five frugal money-saving <laughs> tips to boost your savings, get out of debt so you don't have to pay interest. How do yes. you feel about interest, Sandy? How, how does that make you feel in your heart?
0: I mean, if I'm paying it to myself, great, but I hate paying people a fee for the pleasure of having borrowed their money. That's exactly what it is. So even if it's your mortgage, has, has anybody looked at their mortgage and seen how much you end up paying in interest if you just pay like they tell you to pay? It's so much money. It's a ridiculous amount of money, which means that it forces you to keep working a lot longer than you probably wanna work forces you to be out there away from your family, doing what you really might truly enjoy doing because you're paying interest to something else or somebody else. So the faster you can get out of debt, the sooner you can do what it is that you need to do. Now I had a baby last year and one of the things that I wanted to make sure that I did before the baby actually came out and put his foot on soil, was have zero debt. And I achieved that. I had no debt by the time he was born because I knew that I wanted to quit my job. I knew that I wanted to spend time with my son. And I couldn't do that if I had this debt that I had to service and all those interest payments that I had to make. So for me, it was about focusing on what was most important for me. What was most important was being present in my son's life, not running back to work six weeks after I gave birth to him, which by the way is hideous,
1: the, I was sitting next to a guy His app is called Kinfo. His name's Carl. He's an awesome developer from Sweden at FinCon a few weeks ago. And we actually talked right about this exact topic. And in most of the Scandinavian countries, both parents get a full year off at yes. like an 85% of your salary. So those high taxes go somewhere. Yep. <laughs> when Usually what they do is the mom will take the first year off. And then the mm-hmm. dad will take the second year off because they don't have to be concurrent. And right. if you have your kids two years apart and you have, let's say, two kids, that means for four years, you know, for the first two years at least of each kid's life, they have one parent full time, which I think is so amazing.
0: Now, imagine if you had a, a crap ton of debt behind you that you had to service and you've, you're paying so much per month in interest on your credit card. It's between 15 and probably 29%. It wouldn't allow you to do the things that you necessarily want to do. It makes your payments higher for sure, which means that you've got to make more money, which means that you probably are spending more time at your job, or you're always looking for another job, or you're adding a side hustle or something else so that you can service that debt. Getting out of debt as quickly as possible is the best thing that you can do for yourself.
1: That is so great. So if you are, we're running out of time for today. So take all these tips to heart because- The more you can save on what you spend, that means more dollars in your bank account earning you interest – more dollars in your pocket to do the things you value rather than the things you know, that the Joneses are doing or that your bank thinks your money should go to <clears throat> interest. Right. <laughs> so, that, so, so keep these tips in mind just on, on the day-to-day. No matter where you are in your financial journey, there's always opportunities to save a little bit and boost your savings. Uh, so Sandy, for those who weren't here a couple weeks back, could you remind us where should they go to connect with you online?
0: You can find me everywhere as Yes, I Am Cheap, and you can definitely find me on Yes, I well,
1: Thank you so much, Sandy. Those links are, as always, in the show notes at PersonalProfitability.com. I'll talk to you next time. Bye. Well, there's a wrap on another one, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for sticking around with us and learning all of those fun and useful profitability tips. I hope you come back for next week's show. Sandy is going to give us some really funny stories, some interesting stories about what she's had to go through as a landlord. But before you do that, make sure to sit back and think about the things we talked about today and how you can apply them to your personal finances It doesn't matter if you make $20,000 a year, $200,000 a year, or $2 million a year. You can always improve your finances by putting your money and your spending into only things you value and not just keeping up with the Joneses and spending money on other stuff. So thank you so much, everyone, for hanging out with us. If you've never done it before, I would love if you would share this show with a friend. If you know anyone who could benefit from budgeting and odds are most of us know a lot of people who could benefit from better spending and budgeting practices make sure to hit the share button on whatever podcast app you use so they can listen into these tips and get on the ride as well thank you as always for sticking around till the end and until next time stay profitable